Thank you, Brother Tillman. What a wonderful song. What a wonderful way to start this message, to start this evening's service as we prepare to gather around the table to sing about how great and awesome he is. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share the words, the thoughts that you have impressed on my heart. We thank you for the privilege and the honor of being able to gather around the table, your table, to remember you. You are a good God. How great you are. Thank you that we can come into your presence. We can worship. We can praise you. We can pray. And as we prepare to gather around the table, that is only possible because you have opened the way. You have made the way open for us. And you said for us, often as we, we do, we do it to remember you. And so, Lord, this evening, we want to focus on what you accomplished on the cross. All the events surrounding the cross, Calvary. And then we do as you've asked. As we partake of the emblems, you said it is to remember you. And so as we open this message, open my mouth to share what you have impressed on my heart. Help me to do so for your honor and for your glory. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share a few thoughts about communion. What I'd like to do as a start is to give a brief history of the Lord's Supper. We find that in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and Luke chapter 22, the record of the Lord's Supper. Now for tonight, we'll only look at the Luke 22 passage, because when you look at all three, they all give pretty much the same record. The reason why I chose Luke, or I felt impressed to choose Luke, is because Luke gave a little more detail. We read the record of the Last Supper, and it is so-called because it was the last meal the Lord Jesus ate with his disciples before going to the cross, before his crucifixion. It is also known as the Lord's Supper because it was one of the two ordinances instituted by the Lord himself. 
the other, of course, being baptism. According to some Bible scholars and commentators, it was believed to be a full course meal, sometimes referred to as a feast. And so it was during the eating of this meal that the Lord instituted this ordinance. The Gospel of John, on the other hand, the other, the fourth synoptic gospel, refers to the meal, but does not give the details of the Last Supper. What the Gospel of John records is the washing of the disciples' feet, where Jesus, where he got up from the table, took a towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet. In doing so, Jesus was setting the example for us. He said, what I do, you do likewise. He says, and this is what he said, he said, Jesus gave for us this example, and he said, for us to do likewise in serving each other. He also went on to talk about humility, being willing to serve one another. I'm sure you have heard in reference to washing feet. It was the servant's job to wash the feet of a visitor to a Jewish home. That was the servant's job. And so at this last supper in the Gospel of John, Jesus took the towel to set the example. Peter, knowing the Jewish custom, he said, are you going to wash my feet? Because he didn't expect Jesus as the master to wash the feet of the disciples. But Jesus was setting the example and he said, do likewise to each other the same example that you see me setting for you. Now, what I want to do is read the Luke Passage. You'll find that in from verse 7 to 16. It should be on the screen, or it should be up on the screen. Okay. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you 
before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide this among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This Passover meal that Jesus ate with his disciples was based on the Jewish feast instituted by God himself and was commanded to be followed by all generations of the Jews as a memorial of their bondage and bitter suffering in Egypt. You know, I had to smile this morning when um, Brother Patrick was preaching because he touched on the very same thing. And I just smiled. I said, it's amazing how in his message, and he, when he was preparing, when I was finishing up late yesterday evening, um, God was impressing on me the same thoughts that he impressed on Brother Patrick. So we were, we were thinking of relatively the same thing. It was called the Lord's Passover in Exodus chapter 12 because of the passing over of the death angel over the doors of the houses and only the door frames and the posts with the blood on it was passed over by the death angel sparing the lives of the firstborn sons of the Israelites. As you may recall, this killing of the firstborn son and the firstborn animals of the Egyptians was the tenth and final plague brought on by God because of the stubborn refusal of the Pharaoh to free the Israelites when Moses appeared before him. All this you'll find in um, Exodus 11 and 12. So if you, I mean, I'm sure you've heard it, not hearing this for the first time, you, you, know, you can always read it to familiarize yourself with it. But as we move now to the New Testament, we look at First um, Corinthians chapter 11. We see as Paul opens the chapter, he does so with a challenge for the Christians in the church at Corinth. He says, I seek to please all men so that all may be saved. Now, looking at that portion of scripture, or that particular verse, you may be tempted to say Paul was a man pleaser. All Paul was really saying was that as far as he's concerned, he considered all equal, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile. And so, he says, I try to please all. I try not to be partial to anyone. My goal is to try to win as many to Christ. And he said, the effort the Lord Jesus made in sharing the gospel, being kind, being loving, being patient, 
I try to follow. And so he says, I do that so that all may be saved. Again, whether Jew or Gentile, rich or poor. The second verse of uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he goes on to commend them for remembering him and for their obedience in doing the things that he had taught them. And then we look from verse 3 to verse 16, Paul goes into detail to talk about head coverings in the local assembly. And then we look at verse 17 down to verse 22. And I want you to follow us say, or listen as I read, but it's on the screen also. Paul goes on to say that in this aspect, I cannot commend you. And this is where we see um, the disorder during the communion service, the, 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 the actions that was carrying on, that Kate was brought to his attention. And he says, for this, I cannot praise you. Picking it up in verse 17, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you are eating, for as you eat, each of you go ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. So in this portion, he says, I have, there's no way I could commend you. No way I could praise you. In verse 1 and verse 2, yes. But he said, from what I've been hearing, I can't praise you for this. Now, again, he was speaking to believers. This, this was written to believers. And he says, even, he said, this is what I heard, emphasize, well, saying that he was not present, but this is what was told him. But because what was said to him came from credible sources, he said, and in some ways I believe what I'm hearing. But now he goes on to rebuke. Paul gives a stinging rebuke to the church for their conduct during their observance of the Lord's Supper. He expresses grave disappointment in what he heard was taking place. And because he was convinced it was true, says, for this reason, I cannot commend you. Paul was terribly upset. If you, if you take the time and go from chapter 10 straight through to chapter 11, and try to dig deep into what message he was trying to convey, and then look at the report that was brought to him, what was actually happening in the communion service among believers, then I think you would better appreciate 
why Paul was so upset about what was going on. He was terribly upset because of their behavior, because it not only showed confusion, but division in the assembly, and said he certainly could not commend them for this. Their behavior showed a total lack of love with disunity, a lack of love and concern for the poor among them. And again, it was because of gluttony and drunkenness. The poor people were shared out of the food or ignored completely because of their inability to contribute. This was certainly not what they were taught when they became Christians, nor was it a normal practice in other churches and had the appearance of them being influenced by false teachers that have secretly crept into the assembly. Paul is telling us or teaching us here, first of all, that we as Christians must behave a certain way in the assembly when we gather around the table. There's a certain way in which we behave. There's a certain standard that we as Christians must be held to because of who we belong to, because of who we represent, because of who Jesus is, because of why we gather. Our conduct should be accordingly. Not anything or everything goes. Christians, as Christians, we are called to a higher standard. What I'd like to do now, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 52. Because what I want us to be reminded of afresh is the ordeal that the Lord Jesus went through. See, a lot of times we look at Isaiah 53. Absolutely correct. For some reason, Isaiah, the last two verses of Isaiah chapter 52, for some reason, get left out. They omitted. How many of you seen the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ? I have seen many of the movies made about the death of Christ. To me, that was the most accurate as far as the brutality and the cruelty that was meted out to the Lord Jesus. Listen to Isaiah 52, and then we'll go right into 53. Isaiah 52, verse 14. Many will be shocked by him. His appearance will be so disfigured that he won't look like any other man. His looks will be so disfigured that he will hardly look like a human. He will cleanse many nations with his blood. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. They will see things that they had never been told. They will understand things that they had never heard. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord's power been revealed? He grew up in his presence like a young tree, 
like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that would make us look at him. He had nothing in his appearance that would make us desire him. He was despised and rejected by people. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He was despised like one from whom people turned their faces and we didn't consider him to be worth anything. He certainly has taken up himself upon himself our suffering and carried our sorrows. But we thought that God had wounded him, beat him, and punished him. He was wounded for our rebellious acts. He was crushed for our sins. He was punished so that we could have peace and we received healing from his wounds. We all have strayed like sheep. Each one of us has turned to go his own way. And the Lord has laid all our sins on him. He was abused and punished. But he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was like a sheep that is silent when its wool is cut off. He didn't open his mouth. He was arrested and taken away and judged. Who would have thought that he would be removed from the world? He was killed because of my people's rebellion. He was placed in a tomb with the wicked. He was put there with with the rich when he died, although he had done nothing violent and had never spoken a lie. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him with suffering. When the Lord has made his life a sacrifice for our wrongdoings, he will see his descendants for many days. The will of the Lord will succeed through him. He will see and be satisfied because of his suffering. My righteous servant will acquit many people because of what he had learned through suffering. He will carry their sins as a burden. So I will give him a share among the mighty. And he will divide the prize with the strong. Because he poured out his death. He poured out his life in death. And he was counted with sinners. He carried the sins of many. He intercedes for those who are rebellious. Going back to the First Corinthians 11 passage. Verse 26. When we gather, it is to proclaim, it is to tell, and to show forth his death for us. This ordinance is reserved for Christians only. And this is something that we must do. It is a command. We are commanded to gather around the table. We are are to do this to remember him. But it is a command nonetheless. Then we are told about the time frame. Verse 26b, the second part of the verse says, we are to do so until he comes. My friends... I don't know about you, but this is a glorious promise of hope for us as believers. Glorious promise. Because not only are we 
to remember him. But we are to do so until he comes. To me, that is the assurance that he's coming back. But not that he's just coming back. He's coming back for me. For you. For all who have placed faith in Christ. For all who name Jesus Christ as Lord. He says, remember me until I come. To me, that's a glorious promise. It's a glorious hope that we have to look forward to. To remember him until he comes. And then verse 27 to 30, Paul gives us dire warnings and consequences about partaking in an unworthy manner. Paul goes on to say in verse 27, So if anyone eats this bread and drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why a man should examine himself carefully before eating the bread and drinking from the cup. For if he eats the bread and drinks from the cup unworthily, not thinking about the body of Christ and what it means. And not thinking about what it means. He's eating and drinking God's judgment upon himself. For he is trifling with the death of Christ. Notice verse 30. He gives us now the reason why some has been weak, some has been made sick, and some have died. He says, for this reason, that is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. This gives us something to think about. People drop down dead is unexpected. The doctors sometimes say it's a heart attack. Based on medical science, it could be. They're diagnosed with various illnesses, but could it be? Could it be that in some ways they or we were guilty of, of violating what Paul is saying in verse 30? Paul says, that is why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. And so, when it comes to communion, when it comes to gathering around the Lord's table, those of us who profess to be Christians, you cannot just come here and partake of these and, as I said, to distribute it and take it. Oh, this is a piece of bread. Somebody made this bread. Somebody bought this juice. It is not just a little bit of juice and a little piece of bread. In essence... Physically, that's what they are, yes. But what does, it, what does it mean? What does it represent? Who is your faith in? Who died for you? Who suffered on your behalf? That is the purpose for us gathering, to remember what he did for us. And so, before you partake, make sure it's right. That's what Paul is saying. 
And verse 31, he says, But if you carefully examine yourselves before eating, you will not need to be judged and punished. But if you carefully examine yourselves before eating, you will not need to be judged and punished. And so he wraps up in verse 33. He says, So, dear brothers, and of course the sisters too, he says, So, dear brothers, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, the communion service, they wait for each other. In other words, think about those around you. Do it in the spirit of love, the spirit of brotherhood, out of love and respect and out of decency, out of humility, out of love for the Lord and love for one another. If there's one place we should be united, should be around the Lord's table because of the ordinance that he set and because of the directions that he gave us of the attitude of our heart when we partake of the Lord's Supper. He says, so wait for each other. If anyone is really hungry, let him eat home so he won't bring punishment on himself when you meet together. We as Christians must examine ourselves. Now I know scholar of Greek, but in the Greek the word examine is dokimadzo. And I wasn't just satisfied because I know what that word means. So I went to the dictionary, the Bible dictionary. It says to discern, to test, or to prove. But I say, let me go now to Webster. Let me see how Webster explains it. You know what Webster says? The Webster dictionary gives the meaning to inspect closely. I like that. Not that I didn't understand the other three. Pretty much the same thing. But to inspect closely. It gives the idea of taking a magnifying glass to magnify something looking closely so you can clearly and accurately identify what you're looking for. I like that description, to inspect closely. And so as we prepare to gather around the table, let's look at what Daniel is saying. Let's inspect closely. You know your heart you know better than anybody else what's there that could hinder your partaking of these elements. Or what could bring about what Paul talks about, you know, whether weakness, sickness, or death. So we have an opportunity to inspect closely, to discern, to test, to prove, to confess before God, whatever there may be in our own hearts, so that as we partake of these emblems, we can do so with a clean and a contrite heart, as God has commanded us to, to remember him until he comes. One statement I'd like to share with you that 
came to me in a, in a devotional that I usually get each day. It says, let each of us each day view every activity we do as an attitude of worship and communion with Jesus. That's been an encouragement to me when I got that particular email because it was centered around the communion. And this was the ending sentence. This is what they ended with. Let each of us each day view every activity we do with an attitude of worship and communion with Jesus. On that note, I will ask you to bow with me as we examine our own hearts, as we prepare to gather around his table to remember him. Our Father, we are so thankful that you instituted this feast, this ordinance that we call communion. Oh, Father, as we prepare now to partake of these emblems, as we seek to do as you've asked us to, to remember you. Lord, search our hearts. We are a needy people, imperfect But because you love us, and because you said if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord, we stand on the promise of your word. And as we confess our sin, as we prepare our hearts, help us to get right with you. If there's anyone we have offended or who have offended us, help us in the spirit of forgiveness to forgive them. And we ask that you would forgive us for what we may have done, said, or thought. In any way that we have dishonored you, my Father, forgive us. Thank you for an opportunity to remember you.